that uh, thunder you hear, don't worry about it. I just thought it was Mike on the drums. <laughs> but we're in cha chapter 24 of Genesis. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to try to cover 53 verses this morning. That would probably be an all-time first for me. But uh, we'll, we'll jump in. Genesis ch chapter 24. Sarah... In chapter 23, she has died. She died at the age of 127. And uh, the only woman in Scripture where her age is mentioned uh, for his, uh, her death when it came. Lifespans after the flood are decreasing. And by the time we reach Christ, about oh, 2,000 years after the flood or so, Lifespans are only in the mid-40s. Today, once again, lifespans are on the increase. And several years ago, I bought a term life insurance policy, which takes me into my mid-80s. Now consider, my insurance company is betting on me living at least another 15 years. I'm betting that I will die. What is wrong with that picture? <laughs> I mean, there's something wrong there. But anyway, there seems to be a desire with Abraham after Sarah's death to get his house in order. Abraham has bought a piece of land that has a burial cave on it. He has buried Sarah there. And now Abraham turns his attention towards a, attaining a wife for Isaac, his son. He wants to get a bride for Isaac. Ishmael has married an Egyptian is an off, you know, out in the wilderness. And Abraham doesn't want his son Isaac to marry any of the locals. Uh, none of the Philistines, none of the Hittites, and so forth. And with our current divorce rates in America and the rest of the world, for that matter, arranged marriages seem to be the step in the right direction. So come consult me if you're thinking about getting married, and I will tell you. Who was it? Reverend Moon marries thousands <laughs> upon, and he picks the bride and the groom? Yeah, not going to happen. But anyway, today we have things like Christian dating services. Have you seen those advertisements on TV? Who according to their own advertisement, they will find God's mate for you. That is an extreme extremely presumptuous statement <laughs> you know that they're going to find God's mate for you all right with with that let's move into Genesis chapter 24 we'll read verses the first nine verses we're going to take this in chunks here this morning so that we'll do several readings chapter 24 1 through 9 now Abraham was old well advanced in age and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things so Abraham said to his oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, 
And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. And the Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land, he will send his angels before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Abraham says to his oldest trusted servant, and it's probably Eliezer, uh, Eliezer was Abraham's chief servant 60 years prior to this, and it, there's no mention of his death or anything. So it's probably Eliezer. We don't know for sure, but it, at least he's a trusted servant. And Abraham makes Eliezer swear, take an oath and place your hand under my thigh. An odd custom for us today. But today we place our hand on the Bible, don't we? And we swear to tell the truth. I just wonder how much longer that will be a custom here in America. Somebody will object to that. You know they will. And then we'll, we won't be swearing on the Bible. We'll be swearing on whatever. But Eliezer swears to fulfill this detailed mission of finding Isaac, his master's son, a bride. Eliezer wants to know, what if the woman will not come to Canaan? What if she doesn't want to come here, Abraham? Do I take Isaac then to the land of Ur? And Abraham couldn't have been more emphatic. Under no circumstance are you to take my son back to Ur. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you are released from your oath only do not take my son back to Ur. Abraham has come to understand that God, in his mercy and grace, removed him from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, the land of Ur, the Chaldeans, was idol-worshiping people, false gods and all that kind of thing, and Abraham doesn't want his son in that environment. And Abraham totally forbids Eliezer to take his son Isaac back to the land of Ur. Abraham is protecting his son, and it's thought that Isaac is at least in his mid-30s at this time. We do not read of Isaac ever leaving the land of Canaan, the promised land. We never read of Isaac leaving the promised land. So what is Abraham afraid of? Abraham, he's a good father. He's afraid that the evil influence 
that will come upon his son in these foreign lands. That's a real fear for Abraham. Abraham knows firsthand the evils of Ur. He knows firsthand of the evils of Egypt. So north and south of Canaan, you have nations that are idol-worshiping nations. And Abraham doesn't have to think back too far to remember Hagar the Egyptian, the slave girl in Ishmael. So Abraham has been stung. He's been bitten by the sin of these other nations. And Abraham also remembers God told him to get out of Ur. Leave this area. Get away from your kindred, your household, and go to a land that I will show you. So how does that relate to us? Well, Huntsville, beautiful Huntsville, is a modern-day transient-type city. A lot of people come in here and leave here because of missile defense and NASA and all the different things that go on in our area. And we have people coming and going, moving in and out of our area. Now, I'm not trying to say Huntsville area is the promised land. <laughs> Might be, but I don't think so. But as a believer, we should always consider what spiritual changes will come to me and my family if I make a move to a different area. I have seen people move away from here, God's will. I have seen others stay, God's will. But our spiritual well-being should be a high priority any time we're considering uprooting our family and moving them. Years back, there was a family that began to attend here. The husband was becoming involved in ministry and serving, and this was brand new for him. His wife, she's delighted that he was becoming the spiritual leader of their home. And about the time he's beginning to step forward in the Lord, he received an offer of a promotion and a pay increase up in the D.C. area near Baltimore. And they visited this area. They went up there and they checked out and they came back and they were happy to report that there was a Calvary Chapel near where they wanted to live. For this family, that was the confirmation they were looking for to go ahead and make their move. But when they came back for a visit several months later, the Calvary in that area was not like the Calvary here. <laughs> That's either good or bad. That's it. Don't go there. And they were no longer attending church. So I try to caution anyone moving to our area, anyone moving out of our area, consider the spiritual impact it will have on you and your family. It's not always easy to find a church where you're accepted in and you're serving and you're following after God. That's, that's not always an easy thing, even if it is another Calvary. And 
Abraham, he's not going to allow Eliezer to take Isaac back to Ur under any circumstance. He's just not going to allow it. Even if it means Eliezer breaking his oath to Abraham. Isaac remains in Cana his entire life. For Isaac, this was the will of God. It's where God wanted him. Right where his father and mother had settled. Now, consider this also. Abraham has found no reason whatsoever to buy lands or even settle or build a city in Cana. And he had the strength, the power, and the, you know enough people following him to do so. Abraham sojourned in Cana all his days there. He never bought lands, only the burial lands. Now let's read Genesis uh, 24, 10 through 28. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed. For all his master's goods were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord, O Lord God, my master, Abraham, of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels to drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had ever known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servants ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. And so she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let down her pitcher to her, um, down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel, two braces for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold, and he said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham. 
who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Eliezer is asking God to confirm his mission through circumstance. And that is not always a good idea. Circumstance can be of the flesh, or what we call coincidence. For instance, you're thinking, should I or should I not buy a new vehicle? God, if you want me to buy a new vehicle, let there be 0% interest rate for five years. Voila, a new car. That is not necessarily of the Lord. <laughs> that can be circumstance. Eliezer, in his request to his credit for the bride of Isaac, he stacks the deck against himself. Have this virgin, this girl, willing to give me a stranger a drink of water. That's not so such a big deal, but here's the clincher. And have this young woman offer to water my ten camels. That's of the Lord. <laughs> Eliezer, he's looking for a relative of Abraham, plus he is looking for a woman who has a servant's heart. And that's important. Eliezer is asking God, have this young woman offer not only labors, but labors far beyond what is the common courtesy. She, any woman would have probably lowered her pitcher and give uh, Eliezer a drink. But now, to water his ten camels? Let me tell you a little bit about camels. An adult camel is about eight feet tall. They're great work animals. Uh, they are notorious for traveling many days without having the need to drink water every day. But look out when they do drink. Adult camels can drink up to 20 gallons of water when they're thirsty, 20 gallons. The water pitcher that Rebecca carries was called a cad. Uh, it contained about three gallons of water. Ten camels, 20 gallons of water each, that equals to over 60 trips down to the water level of this well. And wells in this part of the country, in this part of the world, are shaped more like a funnel. You would circle down on the path on the inside of this funnel circle to down, get down to the water level. And sometimes that water level was very deep. Rebecca has took on a chore that will take her probably three to four hours to water the camels. That's not an easy little chore. We don't have any way of knowing if Eliezer's servants jump in and help her into watering. Probably not. And why do I say that? Because carrying a water pot, even up to Jesus' day, 
was woman's work, and a man didn't dare catch himself carrying water. So, perhaps uh, Rebecca got a little help, but probably not. Now, as a cattleman, let me tell you one of the big surprises to me of how fast and how much a cow can drink. Dogs and cats and most animals we know lap water with their tongue, you know, and they get their water, right? Uh, cows, and I'm sure camels, they vacuum water. I mean, it's a big, and they're <laughs> that's the way they take in water. I, I couldn't get over this. The so first time I watched my cows drink water, I go, wow, you really did that? Yeah. <laughs> in the summer, when things get dry around here, I have a 100-gallon tub for my four cows. I have to fill that tub every other day for four cows, a hundred gallons of water every other day for four cows. That's a lot of water, by the way. Drought, when drought comes to an area, it can mean a lot of work for anybody that takes care of animals. In verse 20, we read that Rebecca runs back to the well for more water. A beautiful act of willing labor. This commitment of hers to water ten camels, it has Eliezer in awe. He's wondering, and he's dumbfounded by this, so much so that he's silent. He's silenced by the kindness of Rebecca. And when Eliezer finally comes to himself or responds, he gives Rebecca a golden nose ring weighing one half of a shekel. Two bracelets of gold weighing ten shekels. What we can miss if we're not careful to look up the value of these things is that Eliezer has just made Rebecca a rich woman, a very rich woman. An exorbitant gift to say the least. A half of a shekel was the ransom that was paid for a Hebrew soul. When you purchased a Hebrew in, out of slavery and say, you paid a half a shekel. When Rebecca tells Eliezer that she is the daughter of Bethuel, the granddaughter of Nahor, Abraham's brother, this knowledge, this revelation causes Eliezer to worship God. He has found his master's brother's descendants. Now let's read verses 29 through 53. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass, when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, when he heard the words of his sister, Rebekah, saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he, <clears throat> that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? 
for I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels, and provided straw and feed for the camels, and water to wash his feet, and to feed the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, and he said, I will not eat until I have told my errand. And he said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when he was old. And to him he was given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps a woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they not, will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, Please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, Drink, and I will draw <clears throat> draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman who the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I finish speaking in my heart, there was Rebekah coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water, and I said to her, Please, let me drink. And she made haste and let the pitcher down from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Micah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord my God, or, or blessed the Lord God of my servant Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if, if you will deal kindly and truly with my masters, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, This thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass, when Abraham's servant heard these words, that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out the jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold, and clothing, and he gave them to Rebekah, and he also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Eliezer, he understands God has blessed his trip, and he has blessed his master, Abraham, greatly. Eliezer, his only mission 
is to now get Rebekah back to Isaac, her husband. Verse 30, Rebekah's brother Laban, he sees the golden nose ring. How could you miss it? <laughs> he sees the bracelets. And Laban, he is sort of shocked or dumbfounded by the sudden wealth of his sister. And, and Laban runs out to meet Eliezer. Now, we don't know exactly what he had to say, but it's something like, Come on in, brother. Blessed of the Lord, I will take care of your camels. He knows there's a, a chance to get wealthy taking care of these camels. And how about a little gold for me? No, <laughs> probably didn't say it like that. But when Eliezer recounts the story of how Abraham is now extremely wealthy, and he's given all his possessions to Isaac, his only son. And how God has led Eliezer to Rebekah. And how Eliezer gives more gifts of jewelry to Rebekah and gifts for Rebekah's mother and gifts for Laban, her brother. It is an amazing story, to say the least. Rebekah's gracious labor has not gone unnoticed or unrewarded by the Lord. And that is a word of encouragement that to any of us who serve the Lord. It is not unnoticed. God notices those who serve him. Rebecca's willingness to work hard and graciously causes Eliezer to understand that he has found God's wife for Isaac. In the New Testament, we have the story of Mary and Martha. And many times, if we're not careful, we will get down on Martha because she's the worker and Mary's the one who worships. And so we kind of say, Mary found the good part. And she did. But what about Rebecca? What about Rebecca? She has a servant's heart and it doesn't go unnoticed by the Lord. Because procuring Rebecca for Isaac is Eliezer's most important mission in his life. He is to get his master's son a bride, and he has found her. Rebecca has no idea who Eliezer is when she offers to water his camels. She's probably seen caravans come through that area, stop at the well before. And Rebecca... She herself is already a daughter of wealth, perhaps even a princess. She is the daughter or granddaughter of Nahor. And it hasn't spoiled her. So many times, people of prominence are spoiled. They want to be served, excuse me, versus being a servant. Rebecca is a woman of character. 
and how refreshing, how beautiful it is to see a person of position so willing to serve. So how does that relate to us? One of the greatest compliments that I've had on our little fellowship is from someone who was visiting, they say, you seem to have a, a great group of people who are willing to serve. That was a great compliment. I thought, yeah, we do. We have a good group. When we have work days here, invariably, we have a good turnout. People just want to come out and do what they can. And that blesses my heart. It actually causes me to worship that God has put us together as a body, serving one another. Eliezer worships the Lord not for his good fortune in finding Isaac a bride, but he has found a young woman that is of great godly character for his master's son, and this causes him to worship. Eliezer, his mission is complete. God has blessed his trip. God has blessed his efforts. But I want you to notice this, and we can sometimes miss this if we're not careful. Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament, a type of God the Father, and the type of God the Son. And now we have Eliezer, the unnamed servant, a type of the Holy Spirit. Eliezer diligently working, planning, giving gifts to the bride of Isaac. Likewise, the Holy Spirit working, planning, giving gifts to us, the Bride of Christ, thus making us wealthy beyond words. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, I pray that we would be quick to notice the gifting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You have given gifts by your Spirit to each and every one of us, Lord, for the betterment of your body. And we're to use those gifts in harmony with one another, that we can be all things to you, our Lord and our Savior. So we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We don't want to be ever found grieving the Holy Spirit, Lord. And Lord, we're so grateful that we're given gifts to serve you. Gifts that go beyond our personal needs and desires, but we're given gifts to serve one another and thus serve you, Lord. So help us. To look for those gifts. Help us to develop those gifts that you have given us, Lord. But most of all, we thank you for giving us gifts. Gifts of the Spirit. 
to be more Christ-like, to serve you, our Lord and our God. So help us, Lord, is our prayer. We pray and ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.